Welcome to the UX Growth Podcast, your go-to source for expert insights and actual advice on all things UX design. If you're enjoying the show, I would love for you to subscribe and never miss an episode on your podcasting platform. And don't forget to sign up for our UX Growth Insider newsletter, where you will get exclusive access to even more resources, tips, and insights that help you take your UX design skills to the next level. Be sure to check out our website at theuxgrowth.com, where you can find show notes and links to our social media channels. And last but not least, be sure to follow me on Twitter and LinkedIn for even more UX design goodness. All links are found in the show notes. Thanks for listening, and let's grow together. Hi, this is the UX Growth Podcast, a podcast that helps people learn and grow in the UX design industry. I'm your host, Nick Mann. I'm here with another guest of season two with Andrew Otwell, a UX designer at LabKey and previously at Amazon, Google, and Zillow. Thank you for being here, Andrew. Thanks for having me, Nick. I'm looking forward to talking again. Yes, of, of course. Yeah. So let's begin by tell us a bit about your background. How'd you get to the place you are today? Yeah, I mean it's been a it's been a longish career. Um, you know, I really, if I go far enough back, I can remember um, making things with Macromedia Director and Macromedia Flash back in the day and burning CD-ROMs. But uh, eventually, ended up, you know, I moved to Seattle in 2007 to work at Amazon, um, and that really started kind of the you know the period of working kind of in in. And mostly kind of here in in kind of the big tech companies, I guess Amazon, uh, Google for a few years, Zillow for a few years. Um, you know, so most of my background is really in kind of the big kind of corporate design teams at those kind of companies. Um, I was lucky enough to sort of find myself, I think, like a lot of people do, in kind of various places. Like um, I got to work on the shopping cart and checkout pipeline of Amazon for a few years. You know, something. You know, at least during that time, you know, probably everybody I knew was kind of using my work in a, in a, in that's kind of cool. Um, I, you know, ever since then, I think it's changed a lot. Um, I worked at Google for a few years, mostly um, on uh, kind of advertising products. Um, there was a product called Double Click Search that was around for a few years. Um, I think now has been kind of fully rolled into AdWords, but you know, working on kind of enterprise scale advertising tools. Um, and then on the Google Cloud platform for a little while. Um, so kind of that was a period of working on, you know, really mostly sort of um, enterprise tools, I guess, for, um, you know, for sort of large scale kind of operations. Um, and then I worked at Zillow for a few years. Um, worked, I got to work on a couple of things there. One was um, a, uh, a, an, an iPhone app for doing uh, 3D models of homes. So you could use your phone to kind of make a 3D tour of a, of a home. Uh, that was that was cool. I mean, that was really kind of an unusual and a different kind of product for me to work on. Um, and then spent a lot of time at Zillow working on the 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 search, the search and you know kind of the search and find and filter experience. Again, something you know kind of everybody I know uses. It's you know I got a, a another one of those projects where like you're really kind of doing something that you know my my mother would use. You know, it's it's kind of funny to <laughs> have chances to work on things like that sometimes. Yeah, no, absolutely. And when you're going through this process, like it feels like every job requires something differently from you. What do you say? Yeah, I was sort of thinking about that. Um, 
a little after um, you know, talking to you and, and others. Um, yeah, I think every every job is really different, even though in a lot mm -hmm. of ways those those products are, you know, those things I mentioned were, you know, they're kind of mature when I got to them. There was no big kind of, you know, kind of mag magical innovation that was going on with, you know, Amazon checkout at that time. Um, you know, there was lots of kind of small pieces, but, um, you know, a lot of the, a lot of those uh, jobs have in common that feeling of, um, you know, you're kind of there to to move the ball downfield, so to speak. You know, you're kind of taking over some work that has been going on for a long time and and, and will go on kind of after you. Um, but each of those companies, I think, is so was so different that the, you know, the design team, obviously different people, um, different management, different kind of values in the company, different levels of sort of what their ambition was for those products at those different times. Um, and different kinds of sort of business models in a lot of ways, mm -hmm. I think was the thing that is really the biggest difference. You know, um, a lot of the nuts and bolts of doing the design work is very similar, but in, in, in those different businesses, um, the sort of demands and constraints and, and opportunities, yeah. for what's, what's designable are, are very different. Um, mm -hmm. especially like with like different budgets, different time lengths and stuff like that. Like, like how many people are involved and like, yeah, you notice all these like uh, it could be like even things like legalities that come up that you know not every project needs, but sometimes they can. Yeah, I mean, I th I think of you know kind of when we were when I was part of the the retail customer experience team at Amazon, um, you know, kind of I I was working on the checkout pipeline and and shopping cart. Like there was one or one or two people kind of in the home page. You know, there's one or two people working on the detail page. Um, you know, these were not the only. Kind of people at Amazon responsible for what showed up on those pages, but it was a it was a pretty small team, really. Like the design team for sort of, you know, the the retail Amazon website that you would use was a, a handful of people at the time. You know, thousands of engineers and product managers, and of course, there's tons of other people, mm -hmm. but um, a relatively small design organization. Um, uh, then, then you know, kind of working at at Google on. Um, you know, the, some advertising product, uh, the, uh, again, um, you know, the advertising business at Google is everything. It's 99% you know, of the, the money they make or whatever. But, you know, we were also, again, kind of a small, a smallish design team on that, mm -hmm. that product. Although by the time I left, you know, the, the team I worked on, on the Google cloud product was, was huge. I mean, at least to me, I think, you know, I think we had, you know, 90 or so people on the design team for the cloud management console. So that was really a period when I started to, you know, find, you know, these design teams were just getting much, much bigger. Um, um, when I, when I got to Zillow, gosh, I think there might've been 25 designers at the company. I think we all were, you know, often kind of in the same room together when, you know, somebody came to do a, a job presentation or something. Um, by the time I left, you know, that was, that was, I think it was 10 times that many at, at least, you know, mm. a couple hundred people formed the design organization. So, you know, that's, that's, that's one of the things I've, I feel like I've, um, you know, a couple of times sort of arrived when a company is, is just at that cusp of sort of getting much bigger and sort of been through that period of kind of a, you know, inflationary <laughs> design team and, and other teams as well. Um, you know, especially over the, especially over the last few years, pre pre layoffs, obviously, um, but definitely a period when there was just a lot of um, a lot of very fast hiring and growth on those on those design teams. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, especially with the way technology is going, it's just going so fast. And like, 
<laughs> with these big you know these big uh companies are they are always constantly expanding and always like trying to push the envelope and going into new uh spaces that otherwise weren't there like like right now we're dealing with ai we're now gonna be dealing with some ar if like you know there's like rumors of uh apple going into that now so like, that's exciting yeah i mean and that's a world i've had nearly zero exposure to you know other than just that's as true. an observer of the of the internet like everybody um certainly not work that i ever got to do um you know you know it wasn't really on the horizon for anybody um uh when i was at those kind of larger companies um there were certainly things you know i think you know amazon had some projects going on that were sort of um you know, kind of pure innovation projects, they they tended to sort of separate those groups a little bit. Um, obviously, Google had a million things going on, um, kind of in every possible domain. Uh, you know, some some worked out and some didn't. Um, but yeah, AI and stuff is something I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of reading the same stuff you are, you know, like, I don't, it's not, it doesn't kind of yet have a place kind of in the, the world that I'm working in now, that's for sure. Um, uh, yeah, and I, I mean, I'm, <laughs> I can sort of armchair speculate about it. Um, um, you know what it might or might not mean, but it's um, yeah, it's a it's a it, an interesting question, sort of what what jobs will be supported by or replaced by um, aspects of you know AI or or sort of you know automatic content generation is maybe a, a way to think of how some of it will be. Um, yeah, I think it will be really useful for the listeners to uh, to know about because uh, since our our field is ever so changing and there's always going to be some no skills to adapt for every situation. What would you say to those who are struggling mm. to adapt to such like new technologies, to new methods and the UX field? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and, and I think, you know, I can only sort of think of things I've gone through that are kind of analogous um, uh, since again, I just don't really have a great, kind of I don't have a, a lot of knowledge about sort of what AI will or won't bring uh, but I do think of sort of seeing our field go from um, you know and this may be a little bit of kind of rose-colored glasses looking back but a, a field that has gone through a period of you know kind of collectively figuring out like what is this stuff that we do and build on the internet like we we had to learn a lot of the um, and kind of figure out a lot of the you know the basics I guess as we went um, mm -hmm. over however many years, 20 years. Um, but I think of periods when, you know, going from really a time when even something like a design pattern library was mm -hmm. a little bit of a new idea, like, oh, we should have a library where you and I share the same assets. And like, even that was new at one point, you know, the tools and infrastructure weren't there for designers in a lot of ways, the way that they had always been for software developers who can share code bases and, you know, fork their code and, you know, kind of collaborate in, in code a lot more kind of uh, centrally than we, we could for design as designers for a long time. But I think like the arrival of things like tools that, that did centralize assets, I mean, as sort of basic as that sounds, um, yeah. That was the thing that, you know, changed a little bit, I think, how people thought about, you know, the, the creative role of the designer. I mean, it's sort of silly, but it's like, oh, I'm mm -hmm. not going to be making my own buttons now. Like, th there is an element of kind of owning the pixels that that was different before than it is now, for, you know, for better or worse. Um, and then I think, you know, really kind of the, the, the maturity of kind of design systems and sort of operational work in general in design mm -hmm. um, has been another... Um, kind of step change, I guess, in the last 
five or six years, you know, I guess when yeah, something yeah. like maybe, uh, you know, as early as something like, you know, material design at Google came out as a, as a sort of fully formed um, uh, design system that was not just like, oh, here's a couple buttons with a couple button states and a couple of other things, but a, you know, a coherent um, um, mm -hmm. uh, ecosystem of, of kind of UI components and their behaviors and how they work together and sort of what the expectations were for software that was made from them. Um, obviously a very um, significant kind of efficiency gain, you know, once you could sort of start, um, you know, really counting on these sort of design systems to be comprehensive and um, kind of flexible enough to build the products you're building, whether that's a, you know, a management tool for an inventory management system, um, which I remember building sort of out of a out of material design at one point, um, or a you know a social network or whatever it is, but like all of those things could be constructed out of the pieces that a design system offered. Um, you know, there was a lot of, uh, or maybe there still is, um, a sense of like what what is the creative role of the designer in a world where everything can be built out of the same kind of kit of parts. Um, you know how how do you develop in sort of a as a as a practitioner in a world where, you know, really what you're there to do is kind of produce things that are super consistent, um, especially in kind of large corporate settings. I mean, it's not, um, uh, it is often very difficult to kind of feel that you're able to kind of work uh, outside of those boxes, you know, and that's not, it's not really, it's really not a, um, a bad thing necessarily to be aware of the, um, you know, the constraints, not only of the, you know, kind of maybe the business model, um, but also of the design system that is there to support it. Um, that that creativity um, is something I think uh, you have to kind of find anyway. Um, but it isn't going to be about like you know corner radiuses and drop shadows and stuff, unless you're mm -hmm. the one working on the design system. And I've certainly known uh, designers. I mean, I worked with an amazing couple, few people at, at Zillow who were just absolutely obsessed with getting the details of a design system right and you know the the visual details the behavioral details the documentation mm -hmm. details um you know and everybody um clearly kind of benefited from their from from the ability to kind of scale that kind of uh care taken to scale it up to everybody's product mm -hmm. um but i think that you know the, uh, your question was sort of what do what do you do in a what do you do to sort of grow in a world where you know operational efficiencies yeah. or sort of um, things like that are really important? Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I guess the sort of classic answer is like figure out how to be sort of strategically influential. Figure out how to be able to sort of express problems in a way that is generative of new ideas rather than just um, you know funneling down towards sort of a, a, a same set of ideas. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's it it really is a little bit of a cliche, but sort of you know, be able to kind of ask better questions is often sure. I think the place where that kind of creativity and and responsibility as a designer ends up. Um, it's a it's a a very ambiguous set of skills. <laughs> I think even you know, having done it or, or tried to do it for 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 many years, it's it's often a case of um, you know, not what are exactly the things you do every time, but you know, what is, what is this group of people that happens to be together in this company at this moment, working on this product, what is, what's right for, for that situation? Um, you know, is it design sprints or is it a much more rigorous kind of process that you can bring to bear or is it something else completely? Um, I mean, sometimes it's, it's sort of figuring out what, what, what given a situation and a product and a group of people, um, 
need. Um, I think that's that's increasingly that's right. sort of the the creative um, value that a a designer or a design team can bring. And then the execution often is a little bit kind of by the numbers, you know. And, and again, kind of in 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 a good and bad way, you know, the execution yeah. should be something mm-hmm. predictable and kind of. Um, you know, feasibility and 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 um, buildability of things is is extremely important. Um, but to get to that point and have had a chance to provide, you know, sort of creative input or creative inflection um, is, I think, a an ongoing challenge many designers face and have to sort of figure out, given the circumstances that they find themselves in. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I appreciate the very thorough answer of like of the each sections that we really need to c- take into consideration for the process of what we do as UX designers. And one aspect that I also think it like it really ties into a, like the learning aspect of what you mentioned was also is th- and even asking quite direct questions as well. That's very very important. I'm really happy you touched on that because that's something that I definitely have learned firsthand through my processes. That like how how can we really understand something by of course staying curious i think that's also mm-hmm. one aspect but also asking the right questions to know like where are the pain problems are how are yeah. we able to identify well, like the kpis that we're trying to solve for the business how mm-hmm. can we make sure that the users are happy with the business how can we juggle these two aspects without compromising either you know it's like it's always such a struggle of that areas but yeah but, you know, it's our job to find the medium balance and then try to defend those ideas using based on, you know, the information that we found. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the, I, you know, I think you're describing kind of the, um, in the, in the best case, you have access to users or customers or clients or however you talk about them, you know, kind of, kind of observe to some degree in real life, how they encounter those problems, you know, it, it's cool to be able to read about them or look at numbers about them, but, you know, you want to be able to have some, you know, kind of closer uh, experience to them, whether that's talking to them over Zoom or watching them in a in a room or whatever. Um, but yeah, if you have that perspective, that that um, that insight that hopefully those kinds of observations can, can uh, bring, um, you know, plus as a designer, hopefully some um, understanding of kind of... Um, design patterns at large, you know, a lot of patterns recur in places that are not um, always obvious. Like, you know, it's it's not uncommon to be watching someone making lists or managing inventories and think, oh, this is, this is not unlike kind of a checkout experience, you know, and I don't just say that because I happen to have once worked on it, but like, oh, the pattern of behavior here that someone may have learned from checking out on the internet and buying stuff on the internet for years and years, they're bringing to this other situation and that mental model is, is contributing to how they're doing this job here today. What do we take? What do we learn from, you know, what do we know from how people use other kinds of tools that can help us answer kind of a problem in this, in this specific case? Um, You know, I think, I think specifically about that kind of in what I'm doing now, which um, you mentioned, you know, kind of learning as a skill, which I think really, you know, Mm -hmm. in some ways is the thing I've had to do the most of, um, kind of domain learning. Um, you know, I I worked at Amazon and I, I didn't know really much about e-commerce per se. I had bought a lot of stuff on the internet before I did that, but, you know, to learn the mm-hmm. details of what's really going, you know, what really is involved in that, in that, um, 
um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's, it's complicated stuff to actually sell people products on the internet. It was then, and it, you know, it still is in some ways. Um, but you know, you, you, you learn how to learn what you need to yeah. know. Um, and then going to work in advertising at, at Google, man, I don't think I've ever encountered a domain that was so difficult to learn as, um, enterprise scale SEM keyword advertising, you know, you know, the companies yeah. of the world who want to run a million keyword ads or, you know, bid against some gigantic inventory of keywords. Um, the, the ecosystem of advertising then, and, and certainly now I think is just, it's so, so complicated. I mean, it is, it is just it, like learning how to learn enough to get by in that, in that space uh, as a, you know, and contribute as a designer was like, that was most of the work, <laughs> you know, yeah. what, do, what are these concepts mean? How do people, you know, when someone says I'm going to bid a dollar, like what does that mean to them? How does it show up in the product? How does it show up in other products? How do they kind of understand what happens after that process is done? Um, it was really, really complicated. I actually felt a great relief when I got to move at Google just to go work on, you know, kind of cloud platform management tools. It's like, hmm. oh, finally, I know what software developers do and something about how, you know, kind of computer technology works. It's way more understandable than advertising. Mm -hmm. um, but again, it's just a lot of like, you know, the, the fun, the fun part to me is always like learning a new domain. Um, uh, I've spent a lot of time in the last few months in the company I at, I'm at now, which is a, uh, you know, we make software for life science research. So people mm -hmm. in labs with, you know, pipettes and, and, and well plates and, and assays and stuff. I barely even had, you know, have a memory of high school chemistry and biology. So to learn about what scientists do to do research for drug development or drug discovery, um, there's a pretty big, um, steep learning curve to that. Um, and again, the trick is like, how do I learn the parts that are going to be useful in solving design problems without, you know, having to get a degree in biochemistry to do it? Um, that really is like, I think in a way, sort of the the thing I've always enjoyed the most, and also, I mean, I suppose in the way, sort of one of the harder things, you know, how do I, how do I know what to learn to be useful to the rest of this team and to the users who are going to ultimately use the product? That's um, a good question. It's, yeah, it's a really, <laughs> I mean, in the best cases, you can rely obviously on your, you know, kind of, you know, your, your, your colleagues and, and stakeholders mm -hmm. and, and users to tell you. Um, I mean, I suppose the, the best advice always is like, you know, most people don't mind being asked what you might think is a dumb question, even if you ask it three or four times or, or 10 times. Can you explain it to me one more time how such and such works? You know, most people in general are, are eager to share what they know when they, when they, when you ask. Um, you know, and so the feeling of like asking dumb questions and and you know being a um, an observer of their answers, I guess, and trying to um, you know integrate these bits and pieces as you as you learn them together. Um, I, I don't know. That's the part I still kind of enjoy the most. It is definitely mm -hmm. like a struggle. It's not a it's not an easy process. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'll, I'll definitely say asking dumb questions is always better than making assumptions. And then making anything getting wrong results based on those assumptions. Yeah, making assumptions or you know falling into sort of the you know the the kind of various cognitive biases that we all fall into. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I think talking. I was talking before about you know oh this uh, feeling in some cases like oh the the behavior that we're observing of users they're making lists and and organizing those lists. Maybe that reminds me of like how people build shopping carts and things like that's a obviously a big assumption. 
you know, either that's a, a shortcut to providing some insights that can turn out to be useful, or, or it can be a terribly misleading assumption that like steers you in the wrong direction. You know, you have to also kind of try to figure out if you can validate those things um, when, as you're making them. Yeah, I know. And then go for the, uh, go for eat or go through the entire process over again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To figure out like how yeah. far back up our assumption chain, do we have to, to go back to, to, to change our mind? Mm -hmm. oh, Thomas, you just always have to wonder, like, does this make sense for it all? So, yeah, so absolutely. So as we're drawing a close to this episode, what would you say is the best way for anyone who wants to reach out to you? Uh, I'm not really very much on the internet except for LinkedIn. That's the easiest way to, to find me for sure. Um, I'm happy to chat with people who are at whatever stage of career they're at. Um, I've really enjoyed, uh, mostly over the last year or so, um, you know, talking to a lot of different designers in a lot of different companies at a lot of different points in their career. Um, so if anybody is interested in reaching out and chatting, if I can help out anybody as a as a mentor or coach or something, I'd be happy to talk. Yes. And you can find Andrew's link of his LinkedIn will be found in the show notes. So you can easily check him out and reach him out from there. All right, Andrew, any closing words you'd like our audience to know about? Um, I actually wanted to put in a little plug for the last episode of yours that I listened to, which was your interview with Nick Fink, who is another Seattle-based yeah. designer. Um, you know, I sometimes feel like, uh, you know, I think everybody is sort of um, anxious about the job market and what they should do. Uh, and I just really mm -hmm. thought that Nick did a, like an amazing job of sort of, you know, calmly giving some advice that's very broadly useful and some very practical things. Um, so I, 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 I speak to so many people who are like, ah, can you help me find a job? Uh, but I just really wanted to suggest, you know, anybody who hasn't listened to that one, listen to the, the episode you did with Nick Fink. Yeah, I know. I absolutely love Nick. Uh, Nick, I've been following him on Twitter for quite some time. And when I reached out to him to be on a podcast, like I was actually shocked that he had time for me and was able to do it so quickly too, because I, I imagine he's dealing with a lot of things that are always going on. And it's like, wow, it's just very fascinating. It's the amount of people who will be willing to help you out if just if you just ask. So that's one thing I just really enjoy about the UX industry and like why I'm always so thankful for you, Andrew, for always, you know, being there and you know, be, being uh, such a great person in this community. And like it makes me proud to be a part of this of this industry to know that we have a very bright future and being able to help each other out. Well, thanks. It's a, I, I'm, I'm constantly reminded of how small the world is of kind of the, the UX community. You know, there's a lot of people, but it still um, sometimes feels like a small town. So yeah, getting to know people and helping people out is a good, a good, good way of being. <laughs> yeah, I know that is funny as I am expanding my, uh, like my networking with these guests. It's actually kind of funny to find out like how they are connected amongst each other. Right. I'm like, wow. Yeah. And, and I talk to people worldwide too. So it's, that's always very fascinating oh. too. Uh, so, Andrew, one uh, important feature that I've learned from you is the, the importance of having these designer roundtables that like, you have created and be able to have other designers come around and be able to learn from another, uh, from each other. And this is such an important skill set for a lot of UX designers. I just wait, or, or want to learn more about like what is the overall concept that you have learned from that and why people should care. Yeah, I think it's a really important thing. Um, and um, you know, we were we were talking earlier about um it has had sort of different a different 
role in my life and career at different times and in different ways, the sort of different design communities that I've had a chance to be part of. Um, when I first got to Seattle, um, I worked um, for a little while on the Seattle IXDA meetings, the Interaction Design Association, mm. um, which I'm pretty sure is still a, is still a big uh, group in, in kind of in the Puget Sound and, and in Seattle. Um, uh, you know, organizing kind of lectures or talks, we would, you know, figure out who could, who, who, whose company could kind of host an evening. And often those were kind of recruiting chances to, um, but the thing that I found, um, you know, I've, um, having worked at, you know, a, a couple of like pretty big companies with lots of kind of formal, I guess, sort of design culture going on, you know, sort of events for designers or, um, you know, lectures for designers or kind of training classes or anything uh, like that. Um, you know, some of that stuff has been um, super valuable just as like, a, you know, kind of a chance to to learn stuff and, and meet people. But um, I don't know, one of the things I've always found that my kind of favorite thing about working in design is working with the people who do it. Um, mm -hmm. I sometimes think like, I think back sort of to different times in my career and I'm just like, gosh, I can't really remember like what the projects were exactly that we were doing, you know, 10 years ago, but I can <laughs> very, very clearly remember like, you know, events or kind of design team things that we did. So that like the, the community of designers that I've had a chance to be part of is like almost the, the only thing I remember about some of the places that I've, that I've worked at. Um, and, you know, that's whether I've kind of stayed in touch with people from that group or not. Um, I just think of like, um, you know, sort of early days at when I was at Amazon in kind of the, you know, kind of late mid, mid and late two thousands, I guess, kind of the, you know, 2008, 2009, um, till about 2011, you know, it was still a pretty small or what felt like a pretty small design community. I mean, I think there was really about a hundred or so designers, gosh, that seems like about right. Kind of floating around Amazon at the time. It's like a pretty small group, um, and we started to have, um, um, you know, kind of, um, you know, every every couple of weeks or something, kind of a design, uh, open design review where people could just come in and be like, here's a thing I'm working on. And, you know, like, I'm the only designer on Prime Music or whatever it was, like, but it'd be really helpful to, like, show this work to other designers, like, and here's a chance to sort of be in a, you know, sort of a forum of other designers to, to do, you know, kind of a presentation of your work. Um, and sometimes that was, you know, people would be like, you know, I have to give a, I have to give a presentation to a bunch of stakeholders and can I practice it on you guys um, and mm -hmm. get feedback on it. Um, or sometimes it was like, you know, here's a project we've been working on that has interesting implications for other projects. You know, here's some stuff you, everybody should know about. Um, um, and it just was like, it always was a, a really um enjoyable thing for me to kind of be the one in the position of like, oh, cool, I'm going to schedule you with this other person because you guys are both working on something kind of similar or like, well, maybe you could come this week because, you know, that's going to be right after so-and-so talks about her work on a design system. So like kind of, you know, as people were able to present work and share it, like you start to be able to say like, oh, there's like themes to what we're doing. And if, you know, a little effort kind of on the scheduling side, like a, you know, the way you might with the with a podcast series of interviews, like, oh, I should put this person, you know, this person should talk first because, you know, the stuff they cover is, you know, um, you know, referred to by somebody who comes later or uh, something like that. But like that sense of kind of programming activities for the community um, over time is always really fun for me. Um, and, uh, you know, I think had a, it, you know, that 
the easiest benefit is people get to share the work they're doing and get to practice talking about it um, to a group that's, you know, pretty much, you know, sort of a, um, a safe audience. I mean, designers can be real critical, but in general, like people want to kind of support each other's work. Um, uh, and to get a chance to sort of see what's happening kind of on the other side of the company when, when these places started to get big enough that, you know, who knows what's happening in some other organization. Um, so it was a channel to sort of learn from each other and kind of communicate to each other about, about projects and ideas that was, um, that was just really uh, satisfying. Um, so, it, you know, I, at, at, at other places I've worked, I've had sort of more or less, you know, chances to do things like that, you know, organizing, you know, sometimes it's like a design sprint or sometimes it's like a, an actual, like a, like a conference for designers at Amazon. We also started up kind of the, the, um, I think it's still running. They, it's called Conflux, which is like the kind of company-wide design conference. Um, we started that back in 2010 or 2011, um, mm -hmm. you know, kind of thinking like, Hey, we, 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 we can't, we're not really allowed to go talk about work we're doing to like, like other conferences, like professional conferences, Amazon was like really, really restrictive about that. So we sort of thought, well, why can't we just put on our own conference internally and, um, you know, have it for each other, um, where there's no, you know, kind of less, less concerns about, you know, sharing work and stuff, but, but try to make it as like, like a real event as possible. You know, we had a, we had like outside speakers come in and, you know, catered food and all that stuff to try to make it like a real conference. Um, so doing those kind of things to kind of galvanize the, you know, knowledge and coherence of the communities stuff I've always really enjoyed. Um, um, but yeah, most recently I've started trying to do it a little bit. Um, cause right now I'm at a company with, there's only one other designer and the company is very small anyway. Um, and so there's a lot less of a chance to have kind of access to, a you know, a, a community um, that you can kind of meet and 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 speak in. Obviously, there's like online communities mm -hmm. and Slack groups and discords and all that stuff. Um, but I've always really enjoyed kind of the um, you know kind of conversational communities, um, sort of most of all. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I've just pretty recently started one um, called Design Mind Community, um, trying to think about you know I I selfishly I'm trying to think of like. Who are people who are having interesting kind of challenges or projects in their lives that like could illuminate, you know, the same kinds of challenges or projects I have, you know, like I can learn a lot from lots of kinds of people. Mm -hmm. um, and the trick is sort of figuring out how, how do you provide a space, you know, how do you sort of open up a space for people to share, um, you know, whether it's kind of work details or, you know, kind of uh, about their own experiences or, or difficulties in a way that feels sort of, you know, supportive and authentic and inclusive and, um, um, you know, positive. Um, you know, I think there's there's a lot of value in kind of Slack chat-based groups and things like that, or Discord chat-based groups. Um, but I really also like the idea of having, um, you know, conversations. So we're having now, the, the current schedule is um, every kind of, you know, twice a month, every other Friday, um, uh, scheduling kind of an hour midday to have a, um, you know, an, a, an online live, you know, roundtable discussion. I hesitate to even think of it as like, oh, it's a Zoom webinar. It's like one more Zoom meeting. Because um, I really try to think of like, how can we make it a little bit different from some of the just sort of, mm -hmm. you know, you know, Brady Bunch style meetings that we all spend a lot of time in, <laughs> you know, like the grid of squares kind of thing. Um, so, um, you know, trying to think of kind of a, a, a a, a topic or sort of an area for discussion um, or a sort of smallish activity 
um, that we can do in 45 minutes um, and have just a chance for people to sort of talk about themselves and their and their work. Um, uh, I just find it's like so valuable in um, um, you know, kind of making a space to listen to people and what they're going through, whether it's, you know, job hunting challenges or project work that's hard or dealing with, you know, stakeholders or even just sort of where we all are with our career at any given point. Like, how do we feel about what we're doing now as opposed to, you know, what we'd like to do or what we did before? Um, you know, I think in a lot of ways, there's just a not a, there's not a lot of um, spaces that like allow that kind of conversation in the design community right now. Um, and I think these, you know, sort of smallish sort of round table style forums are, are, are helpful ways to enable that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know you said a lot of great stuff to be able to understand through the whole process of how great these groups are being able to learn from one another of, especially as designers, but also let's learn from so other designers about how they work and how they think because that's such an important aspect because to improve as a designer like we can talk about and read about theory you can see it in examples but man when you talk to actual other designers mm -hmm. like it opens up a whole new thought process that you didn't even think that would be possible because like we you know we all come from different areas like you know i come from the graph design area and i'm mm -hmm. talking to people who come from research backgrounds yeah and have different and very different you know, and not just sort of different perspectives, but totally different experiences. I mean, people who work on the same team have different experiences and without kind of, you know, maybe intentionally having a way to sort of, you know, talk about those or share them. Sometimes those kinds of things go unsaid or unseen by other people. Um, and I think it's, uh, you know, really valuable to sort of be able to, you know, offer a way to have those be sort of exposed to the light. I mean, that sounds kind of bad, but like, you know, giving some <laughs> space for those things um, that aren't as, you know, not the kind of thing you talk about and stand up with your team or whatever. Um, you know, I think one, one of the things we talked about at the first one of those roundtables was, um, you know, I, I called it defining your creative identity. Um, Cause I was sort of thinking like, yeah, designers or researchers, like, huh, that's like not a, even to think of somebody who's sort of a creative person, like that's not a single category of things. Like, do you mean creative in the sense that you generate ideas and that's sort of really satisfying creativity? Do you like to, you know, sort of refine existing ideas? That's obviously a different kind. Are you, are you, do you find that you're sort of creative by, um, you know, kind of through collaboration? Um, I sometimes find that I never have any good ideas on my own, but I can sort of hear them coming out of somebody else and be like, wait a minute, that was a really good one, like elaborate on that. Um, hmm. So I think each of us have these sort of different facets to, you know, sort of what, in what way we feel like we are creative people. Um, and I thought that it would be an interesting conversation just to try to, you know, identify some of those kind of facets or perspectives and just ask people to reflect on, you know, maybe not sort of what label applies to you universally, but like which one resonates with you, where you are now in your career, is that different than how you might've felt a year ago or five years ago? Is it, is it different than you think kind of the ideal creative role for yourself might be, you know, gosh, I get a lot of great ideas when I talk to people, but I sure wish I could, you know, I sure wish I was better at like refining creative ideas into sort of more, you know, kind of better final products. Like, 
yeah, maybe. I mean, I think we're, you know, we all have different sort of values and and emphases in our creativity at different times. Um, but just sort of trying to give a space to talk about those, like, here's how I'm feeling now, basically. Um, what about you guys? <laughs> it just mm -hmm. is a useful and sort of satisfying, um, you know, sort of space to open up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And to be able to open up and be able to gain as much insight as possible. So what would you say to those who are joining one for the first time? Mm. How can they get the most out of it? That's a really good question. Um, I think, uh, I mean, inter introducing yourself is one, <laughs> hopefully everybody who's, you know, kind of uh, opening up one of these or, or starting one of these has encouraged people to introduce themselves. Um, I was really, uh, it was funny to notice how people introduce themselves kind of in our, you know, in our chat channel for that group. And somebody was mm -hmm. like, oh yeah, I'm a designer, but here's a picture of like some like aquatic, um, like a really complicated, like, uh, like aquarium terrarium. <laughs> like that's like one of his hobbies. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. Like, I'm so glad I didn't miss that detail about you. Um, and it, you know, it kind of came up later as well like this idea of you know a, a creative act of sort of like um this kind of gardening of this terrarium thing um yeah so like definitely introduce yourself and 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 kind of be open about sort of who you are and and where you are um um i i mean i think like like so many things we're all a little bit still learning again after the pandemic of how to sort of operate in groups of strangers um and I think like asking asking good questions and listening more than you talk is always a good strategy. And like in a lot of places, um, you know, I think it's uh, it's uh, it, there's there's uh, it, it, it's easy to find um, you know sort of chances to learn stuff by kind of listening more. Again, I sort of think like the the podcast host role of like you you might learn more by saying, "Oh, that's interesting." Uh huh. And pausing <laughs> than you would about jumping in and sort of being like, well, here's what I did. And here's, you know, here's my take on that. Um, mm -hmm. So I think it's a, you know, it's interesting being in a kind of a, a community or a discussion is often a chance maybe to sort of practice active listening uh, in a, in a, in a different way as well. Um, um, but yeah, I mean, I think also, um, you know, like so many other, you know, facets of life online, like sort of a, maybe a sort of sharing of resources first mentality, like, Here's some things I've learned, like, let me, let me share them with you, you know, or here's some you know resources I found, like, I'm happy to share them all, you know, no, like, you know, the, the, um, uh, you know, of avoiding a feeling of kind of gatekeeping or sort of hoarding of any kind of resource. Like, I think just sort of sharing by default is still a good, um, you know, kind of strategy for joining a group. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One thing I would also say is to always be open-minded. Mm -hmm. Don't have, you know, like there's, there's people who can have these expectations of like what they want out of a group. And mm -hmm. it feels like more of a taking mindset instead of a, like a giving. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's, um, and I, I hope that one of the things that we can do in this, um, in this design mind community is, um, you know, talk about more than just you know, here's where I work and here's what I do and here's the kind of projects I work on and here's the tools I use. Um, and to, you know, I think um, so many people in that group, some of whom I've you know kind of known off and on for like quite, quite a long time, um, have had like really varied and interesting and unusual experiences and, and, you know, kind of with the, you know, the benefit of age and hindsight, maybe we're able to sort of tie those things together in ways that um, 
are kind of not necessarily obvious to people who are you know earlier in their career. I, I guess this is just a way of saying like you know there's maybe some like age and wisdom and advice available if you if you do kind of listen <laughs> listen by default like you said. Um, uh, uh, um, you know, and I think uh, there's you know certainly a. a a place and a value for sort of just straight up networking and, you know, making sure if, Hey, if you're on the job market, you definitely need to let people know. Um, but you know, everybody, um, kind of is aware of how to, uh, how, how that is these days and how like a lot of people are, you know, kind of, um, yes, everybody is probably looking for, for a job and the, uh, you know, the way to do that is to kind of, you know, meet people and get to know people and, and, you know, build some of these connections, um, you know, without necessarily kind of, um, you know, um, job hunting first, I think. I, I don't know. I haven't seen too much of that. I think in general, like that's, um, most people don't kind of just join and join communities and kind of spam them with their resumes anymore. I don't think anybody thinks that's very effective. Yeah, I get, uh, I know I'm fortunate enough to not see that uh, myself. So, you know, in, I gotta say that definitely takes also a certain type of character to be able to forcefully do that to people they don't even know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, most people probably aren't that way. So it's, yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I don't know. I think, I, I, I think go, you know, going into any community of any kind, like just being sort of listening first and sort of, you know, sharing second is probably the, you know, the, the, the way to go. Um, I mean, that's certainly what I, try to do myself mm -hmm. yeah absolutely so what uh, for the people who wish to join such a group mm -hmm. what would you say is the ways that they can find ones that i could say in person or even online yeah i this is something that has changed a lot over the last a few years for sure but i think even before the pandemic um you know i think they're there's um, there's plenty of online groups. I think it's like those are relatively easy to kind of come by, um, you know, especially if you're interested in like a particular, you know, a field. Like um, I, I'm actually a, a part of a bunch of um, like climate related design groups. And those groups are they have like lots of um, discussion options. You know, there's Slack groups and discords. They also do some like. Um, uh, you know, virtual events every once in a while. So it tends to be, I think, pretty easy to find sort of a group in a in a in a niche that you're interested in. Um, um, I, I actually have found it's like it's hard right now to find groups in person to do things like that is still sort of just barely kind of coming back is my perception, at least where, you know, where mm. I am in sort of the Seattle area, um, that there's a lot less of that than, um, you know, certainly than there was kind of once upon a time. Um, but those are the things I find are like, you know, those are more fun. I've always thought, um, and, um, you know, the, the, um, you know, sort of the, the, the bar for everything is always just a little bit higher kind of in person, like everybody's, um, you know, the, um, I just, I can think of a lot of like in-person design events I've been at where like, oh, people like did really cool presentations or like they're sort of, you know, they're, um, Creativity is a little more sort of on display in those because there's like a you know kind of an on stage component to it. Um, I just feel like a little bit of that has um, there's a little there's just somewhat less of that these days, which is sort of too bad. Um, but yeah, I I mean I I almost feel like the answer to like where do people go to find those communities is like gosh I feel like we're sort of tripping over them all the time. Like there's so many. Like it's a question of sort of finding the the sort of small 
niche of the discussion that you're most interested in, or if it's not that, and there's sort of, you know, kind of one right next door. Um, I think that's like what's so um, uh, sort of enjoyable is that you have a chance to find people who really are um, sort of interested in the exact type of community that you are, whatever that happens to look like. Um, I learned about a really fascinating one recently um, called uh, the, I think it's called the circle. Um, it's a, a service design. Um, uh, let's see if I can find it because I want to make sure I describe it correctly. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, it, it's um, a, a design community for service design professionals, in-house service design professionals. So it's actually like even more specific than just like people interested in service design. It's a community of in-house service design professionals you wish you had around you each and every day. Um, just like, yeah, that's a pretty cool way of characterizing it. You know, this is a group of people that you wish you were kind of around every day if you were kind of at work with them. Um, and I think it has a very similar sort of um, uh, uh, take as to sort of how I've thought about the, the one that I started. Um, you know, they describe it as the circle was born out of the desire for a, a safe place where you can learn from real and honest stories of other in-house service design professionals. Um, I am not personally an in-house service design professional, although the, you know, it's sort of it's super kind of interesting to me. Um, but for people whose that's their whole um, job, like it's so cool that like somebody has like come up with a community sort of just for them. Um, uh, and uh, I think it's, you know, it, it had, it's, uh, you, you know, you can, you can track it down pretty easily this, online, this, the circle service design group. Um, but I think it's, an, it, it being that kind of niche focused has enabled them to kind of write some, um, you know, kind of community conduct rules that are very specific, um, which is nice to see. It obviously keeps kind of the topics kind of relatively closely defined. Um, and it seems like something that's been going on now for like quite a while and has like a very big group of people. So it's like a very, like a large range of kind of activities and, and topics that they've covered. Um, yeah, this is like, it's like, this is the kind of thing I think is really cool. Um, it just happens not to be in a, like a domain that I'm personally involved with, but like as a model, I think it's really neat. Um, and I think there's probably other, um, you know, kind of examples like that of, of communities that are like, oh, it's not for service design professionals, but it's for, you know, UX designers. Um, another, another, uh, uh, kind of colleague of mine, a, a friend of mine who I worked with for a while at Zillow, she runs a community for, um, UX designers who are non-native English speakers. She herself is Taiwanese. And so she thought, oh, I should start a support group for, or not support group. I should start, start a group that gives people who are, you know, wanting a chance to, you know, practice their design presentations in a language that is not their kind of first language. Like, here's a way I can kind of provide a, you know, a group of peers in a, in a way that makes it sort of a safe space to, to kind of, um, you know, talk about not just the work that they're doing, but the kind of issues that they face as, um, you know, as um, non-native English speaking designers, like trying to, you know, do work in the world. Um, and I think that's been really like um, a great kind of community for them. Um, I think she has like 400 people in it. They meet like quite regularly. Um, you know, they've, they've, you know, they use it sort of not just as a, a sort of instructional opportunity, but as like a job, job networking opportunity too. like, it's really cool what she's built up for there. But again, like it's for a very specific kind of um, 
group of people. And I think that's what makes it work really well. Um, it's not, I think, um, it's not sort of a, uh, intentionally exclusive. I think it's trying to sort of figure out like, how do we find a, you know, a group of people who we can serve really uh, specifically first. Um, but I've, I've joined a couple of times to do, um, you know, portfolio reviews and things for them. Um, and it's been like really, it's really fun to sort of visit those kinds of um, other communities as well. Yeah, no, it, it's such an important aspect of like we, there actually are tons of online communities and you definitely made a good point of finding the right one that fits for us because there's so many, there actually is a lot. The more I looked into it, it feels overwhelming. Yeah, and there's some well, that are huge. Like it feels like you're in a sea and like, how can you get any value out of this? Because there's just so many people. Yeah, it, it feels overwhelming. Yeah, another group that I found that I found really um, helpful, um, again, sort of, you know, interesting to me, but maybe not to you or to other people, but again, like you can kind of find the one that is, um, there's a um, uh, sort of a facilitation community. So people who are, you know, the, the kind of people who like run design sprints or do um, strategic planning workshops um, also overlap with the world of people who do like, um, you know, policy rollout facilitation sessions at like large universities, like nothing to do with design or technology or anything, but still in some kind of role that requires, um, you know, that's sort of asking them to be um, facilitators of groups getting things done. Um, and that community is like, gosh, that's a really big and interesting community that does all kinds of interesting, um, you know, online uh, you know, discussions or online training or, you know, lectures or webinars or whatever. Um, but yeah, that's another like, you know, sort of design adjacent kind of world that's like really interesting to tap into, um, you know, if you're interested in facilitation or if you're interested in service design, you know, these are kind of these like next door groups that um, that uh, um, that could be really like interesting places to sort of dip your toes into, um, you know, as sort of aspects of a, of, a, of a design focus that you might have. Um, as we're trying to close this episode, Andrew, what's the best way to support you and what you're doing? Yes, thanks. I so the community that I have been talking about a little bit is called um, the Design Mind Community, uh, and I've recently started um, uh, reaching out to people to try to do more. Uh, formal coaching and mentoring offerings. So I am interested in meeting people who, you know, ultimately might be interested in working with me as a coach or a mentor. Um, and part of the reason I started this community is not to, you know, have a place to kind of do the hard sell with a, you know, a bunch of my friends, but to just sort of find a way to extend the network of people who might know people um, in order to try to find, you know, kind of um, uh, eventually those kind of potential coachy clients. Um, but I'm really most like, you know, like I said, the value of, uh, for me of kind of, and the fun of kind of running these communities is really the getting people together and sort of, um, you know, helping kind of facilitate a conversation or an activity like that, that kind of, um, you know, offstage kind of, uh, work is really enjoyable to me. So if anybody is interested in, in joining, um, I encourage you just to maybe first reach out to me. I'm easy to find on LinkedIn. Um, and we could have a chat, um, you know, kind of about what you're, what you're looking for and whether that's kind of the right kind of community, uh, to join. Um, but I would love to have more people. So yeah, please reach out. 
Yes, and Andrew's LinkedIn will be found in the show notes, so you can easily check him out and be able to see if this group is going to be the right fit for you. Yeah, thank you so much, Andrew, for being here. Yeah, you're very welcome, Nick. Thanks very much for having me. Yeah, please do support our guests. Until then, you just listen to the UX Grow podcast. I'm your host, Nick Mann. Thank you for listening.